That's my bad. <laughs> there we go. I knew I was forgetting something. All right. Welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. This morning, I am joined by Shane Hazel. How you doing, Shane? Good, brother. Thanks for having me in. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. We, we tried to get you on uh, a while ago and everything just kind of didn't quite work out. And so I'm, I'm glad to finally get you on. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's always a pleasure to be on somebody's platform, man, and I appreciate uh, giving me this place to come in here and talk. Anytime, anytime. It's, you, you know, I, I do got to say, I am kind of glad we waited until after that amazing uh, Georgia debate that you had, which was like, I, I watch clips from it every now and then. I think that that should be the like minimum for any libertarian election. Oh man, the minimum. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? It's like yeah. uh well, yeah, I mean, getting getting anybody to to have you in um on a debate is is tough to begin with, right? And yeah. the way the way they do this and they set it up. Um, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, come on in, libertarians. It's uh, it's <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where even when they do it, they're using you as a prop and trying to show how fair they are while at the same time excluding you from the conversation by asking questions of, you know, the, the Democrat and the Republican trying to get them to each attack each other so that they can rebuttal and take up the entire hour without mentioning you at all. So yeah. it's, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of hijinks that goes on, uh, but even before, uh, the whole thing, I mean, where you're not even given a green room like the other two, you're just given a sound stage that's empty as hell and like, all right, here you go. And so it's, it's, it's definitely an experience. I think, you know, that my past experience with that, specific debate uh helped me out a lot that was my third one so i kind of really understood the format and I, I you know i i had you know in my mind it was just let's go you've done this two other times so yeah you know, it was a lot of fun well i i absolutely loved it especially uh there, there was a few times they were trying to say all right mr hazel uh your, your turn is done and you just kept rolling and you're just like nope i'm gonna finish saying what i'm saying and then i'll be done yeah, you know, as much as I think most people can't stand Donald Trump, he does something very well on a debate stage, right? He's chaos. And it's not so much that he's chaos um, in, in, a, in a good way. He's, you know, obviously, he's the furthest thing from libertarian possible. Yeah. But he commands a stage. And when he's there, he's not going to let anybody uh, push him around. And I think you know, if you're if you're that guy that's going out for the executive position, you know, that's probably a quality that's, you know, right up there with being the executive of a state, let alone a nation is, you know, if, if people are going to push you around uh, being moderators or the, you know, the opponent, then you're probably not the right person for the job. And, you know, creating that disruption, calling people out, making them uncomfortable, making them, you know, make mistakes and, and have gaffes and hiccups in their speech and everything else that's that's the name of the game make them look like the children they are and i think you did that just beautifully honestly right. it's what one of the the highlights of this last election cycle in my opinion it was <laughs> like like your your uh your debate and uh jeremy kaufman's messaging coming out of new hampshire i think were like the the two highlights across the country that was just it made it put a smile on my face. I was like, finally, there's some some awesome messaging coming out. How much fun was Jeremy Kaufman, man? I like oh, that I was just such a I mean, it's brilliant, right? Like just yeah. just a brilliant way to have some fun, 
make some people laugh, take notice at the same time, and and you know, you know, absolutely deliver on on message. Yeah. We we kind of talked uh, before the show is got to go on offense. I mean, it's it's way late in the ball game. Playing defense, oh, yeah. trying to get along, being accepted into the this no. We are watching the empire collapse right now, and to help people understand that to show people that there are already people that are out in front of us you know people that they can join with to recognize this push it and then decentralize it at their local level that's that's the most beautiful part of you know a lot of what jeremy did he's like oh yeah you know <laughs> yeah. let's let's call out the absurd and the ridiculous for what it is and and show people like hey you know these are the people that actually make a lot of sense and they're still fighting uh it's just they're not fighting at the national level because there's no incentive. You know, I, I just got to say, I'm, I'm excited to see actual libertarians again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been a while, man. I mean, we, once, once the Ron Paul era was kind of over for us, uh, you know, after 2012, you know, Gary, eh, he's, he's a nice enough guy. Um, but yeah, he's not hard, man. He's not the brass knuckle and he's definitely not, he wasn't fun. Like Gary, <laughs> Gary wasn't uh, that that fun, you know, guy that was going out there and taking shots and and just absolutely delivering a very unapologetic. And that's the thing is being unapologetic about liberty and freedom and absolutely being on the offense, calling out force and coercion everywhere you see it. Like that's not that wasn't Gary Johnson. Um, that was not the LP prior to the Mises Caucus. And you've seen yeah. the change, like you've seen the change since the oh, Mises yeah. Caucus has taken over and, you know, love them or hate them, whatever your feelings are. Um, they have done some really amazing things since their, uh, I think, what, May, April, whenever the heck it was yeah. when they were out. In Reno. Yeah, man, like hats off to them. Oh, so I'm so proud to to be a part of that whole thing. You know, uh, I'm I'm Mises. And, you know, it's, it's not something I like to flaunt. It's, you know, a choice I made for myself. And I usually do, you know, the work behind the scenes with Mises. But I'm proud as hell of being yeah. being a part of all of that. Well, and here's the thing is, you know, we've been called a lot of things. And I will tell you down in Georgia, like the, the people that I would go out, I would be asked to come out and speak at, you know, Joe, Joe Dorgensen events or, uh, you know, Angela Pence or whoever, you know, like. And I'd show yeah. up. I'd show up, and I'd help them out gladly, uh, with a smile on my face, no animosity whatsoever. Hey, thanks for giving me a stage to come out here and talk a little bit, and thanks for you know putting on these events and, and getting after it. And as soon as the Mises Caucus won, the what 180 degrees, like the whole Nazi rhetoric, the white supremacist not you know rhetoric, like all this nonsense from the same people that asked us to come out and support them. And that's the thing is you know. I right before the, the Mises caucus uh, thing happened, uh, I, I've been down at the, the Bitcoin conference in Miami and this was in between back surgeries. I was feeling good, uh, ran into some of these same people, including uh, Joe's camp down there. And they asked me to come to a, uh, a breakfast. And I was like, you know what? Sure. We're, we're, we're here for Bitcoin. You know, this is this is a great avenue uh, to, to put away a lot of silly differences and come down and support her again. And like this, this is not my first time coming out and supporting, you know, Joe's little event. So I was like, sure, why not? Let's go. And the people that put it on between, you know, then and right after the Mises caucus takeover, man, they were just like, you know, 
screw you and you know you guys are the worst people ever and you're like you can't have it both ways. You, 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 you've, you've asked us to come out. You've asked us for support. And now you're going to sit there and say, oh, we're white supremacists or we it, you know, foster a culture of hate. No, we don't. We're just hard line. We tell you know, the truth. And it's one of those things where when people come out and um, they're, they're called out on their bullshit or their soft hands or you know, their, their lackluster uh, performances, it's just it's, it's, there's nothing to that except for trying to improve um, you know, where we're at as libertarians, because let's face it, the mainstream's not going to help us. The banks aren't going to help us. The political elite aren't going to help us. They're never, ever going to open the door for us. And you've got to be those people that fight and gain attention uh, through making headlines. And, you know, between uh, the New Hampshire uh, guys up there and, you know, down here in Georgia and Tennessee and Kentucky and uh, you guys out in Utah now, like this is like, there's, you can see the bastions where the Mises Caucus is in control, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's honestly great. I, I always made the joke that it, if we were white supremacists, we would have been in power by now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it doesn't make sense. Like if if we're white supremacists, we're like we're the worst ones ever, yeah, ever in history. So it's, it's I I it's, hate it. It's it's, it's lame crazy. messaging and you're you're like going after like low hanging fruit on the messaging poll. It's like at least be creative if you're going to criticize us. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's right up there with the the left. And not kind of the left, like the really progressive, yeah. thoughtless, uh brainless, unstudied left. Oh, you're racist, you're sexist, you're you're hater. No, we're not. We're <laughs> we're just a little more hard-nosed than you guys are. And that and that offends some people. It, it scares some people off. Um, but this is the time for fighters. And yep. that's, that's the one thing I, I think, you know, we, I took away from everything is like, we were looking for fighters. We were looking for people that had not only the, the acumen to sit there and talk about, you know, Austrian economics, um, and understand the, you know, the, the banking cycles and all that kind of stuff of the Keynesians, but really go in there very brashly, uh, chest out puffy as hell and give it to yeah. these guys both barrels. And that's that's the thing is you, if if you're going to snuggle up to the political elite and, you know, try to make friends, man, those people are, they're snakes. You know, as soon as you turn around, they're going to stab you in the back. They'll stab you in the front. They'll, they'll stab you any way they can. Um, and they'll use you for political fodder. And, you know, I think it's long past time the Libertarian Party uh, stopped being used for, you know, fodder and start getting back to our, voluntary you know in terms of branding voluntary type of roots um you know you could say anarchy but that scares a lot of people but voluntary is just that term that we use on a daily basis is just like hey listen we can we can have consentful relationships and that includes government it's just you guys man you guys are making concessions and and retreating and and, in the face of the monster and so on the other end of that you're, you're pushing towards the the decentralization and the end of an empire which makes us all freer. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. So one thing I kind of want to get into is just like your start of being a libertarian. Uh, you're a Marine combat veteran. Mm -hmm. And from from everything I understand, uh, you kind of had like an awakening during your military experience. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, I mean, hard not to see. Uh, <laughs> my, my first tour 
you know, you, you, you see some things in the first tour, right? And, and like my first tour was the original invasion. Uh, we were in Kuwait uh, and we went into Iraq uh, in mid-March, right around my brother's birthday. I think it was the 18th. And, you know, you see the highway of death from like the early 90s. Uh, the highway of death is what leads, uh, you know, from Baghdad down to Kuwait. And it was just, I mean, still, uh, you know, truck holes and cars and, you know, uh, not not too many skeletons or anything like that left. But, you know, occasionally you see some bones. And I mean, these, this went on for miles and miles and miles. So you start to see, you know, a lot of people were trying to get the hell out of desert, uh, out, out of Iraq uh, the first time we went down there. And it was it was a pretty gruesome sight. Then, and I guess, you know, we turned around after, you know, taking Baghdad. I mean, we went all the way up to, uh, to Crit and got uh, sent back home a little bit early, even earlier than the rest of our company to be the next uh, platoon to head back over. And so when we had headed back over in April of 2004, uh, Fallujah one was kicking off at that time. And we were watching, you know, guys in T-shirts with, uh, you know, saws, squad automatic weapons. It's a 249. And, you know, just guys on rooftops just shooting it out. And they pulled back. We we got into this place called Najaf um, in, in July. And when we got there, uh, as soon as the Marines took over from the Army, we picked a fight with Muqtad al-Sadr um, and his Mahdi militia, which were Shiite, which we were, I, I thought that's who we were there to, you know, help with. And we had surrounded uh, the Mahdi militia in this place called the Imam Ali Shrine, the second holiest site in all of Islam. And as we're, you know, getting ready to drop uh, a whole bunch of, you know, guided bomb units, GBUs on this place, they were like, no, they've brokered a deal. Uh, the Grand Ayatollah Sistani, Muqtada um, al-Sadr, and some of the, uh, the bigwigs in D.C. brokered a deal. We had to watch everybody walk away. And that was, that was a really, like, that was a moment of pause. You were like, what are we doing here? You know, if we're going to fight these guys and, and corner them and the goal is to wipe terror off the mat. And, you know, this is when I was still very much a young, very yeah. red, white and blue spangly guy. I was like, man, we just we just missed the opportunity to do that. And those guys are going to go out there and do what you think they're going to, you know, kumbaya it up. And we're yeah, gonna they're, join just, our... they're done now. No. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was kind of the 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 first uh, eye opening event. And then. uh not much later, after we got done helping out with um, uh, ODA, which is Operational Detached Alpha from the Green Berets, uh, down there in Najaf, we went up to Fallujah and we did all the battlefield reconnaissance for the breach points and all that fun stuff for uh, the better part of a couple weeks. Out every night, trying to take a look at you know where would be a good point to breach uh, the city, and then. We got pulled in as combat replacements for um, 3-1, 1-3, and 1-8 uh, battalions that were out there that were taking heavy losses. So, you know, our guys, and I was 24 at the time. I was an old man compared to these kids, 17, 18 years old, kicking in doors. I was also the point man in a breach team. So, you know, making sure that, you know, showing these guys how this is done, taking point on house after house after house, getting shot at, getting fragged, getting, you name it. Um it was it was pretty you know pretty terrible situation and then this to see the destruction I mean the the death and destruction that was going on there I mean bodies all everywhere like really like just left out in the street dogs that were you know wild you know and this this is maybe more of the gruesome part but um, you know in, in these situations you see dogs fighting over human bodies 
And it's it's really it's it's one of the most disturbing aspects of war you'll ever see. Not to mention, you know, we went in there and destroyed a, an entire city um, close to uh, the I guess it was Thanksgiving. Uh, we headed back uh, just to, to re-gear and restock everything. And on my rack, uh, my bed in my tent was a book uh, from one of my buddies who just got done reading. Um, it was John Taylor Gatto's The Underground History of American Education. Yeah, Jesus, read that while you're in a war zone. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it talks about the, you know, the history of American education, where it came from in terms of 1700s Prussia. And the reason why it was instituted was to create more of a homogenous culture that was very ready to serve the state, especially when it was time to go off to war. And when you <laughs> see that and you're overseas, man, you're just like, holy shit, they got me. They got me. I'm here. I'm here right now. And I still had probably, I think, till the end of February. Um, wow. This was, you know, late November. And I've got to go back outside the wire, not die, get everybody home. And Jesus Christ, man, like what a what a mind trip. It was just one of those things where you, you kind of put your head down and your only goal at that point was like, I got to go. I got to get out. And I didn't know what a conscientious objector was at that point or I probably would have become one. Uh, and you know, to, to, you know, to be honest, you know, it was one of those things where over those, that course of those months, that book became the, the conversation of a lot of what we talked about in, in the platoon. And a lot of guys got out, uh, as soon as we got back, like guys were, you know, finishing out their, <laughs> their sentence, their, their tour. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, most of that platoon, if they weren't, you know, really long in the tooth, uh, they left and it was, it was over. Uh, so yeah, that was that was my awakening, man. It was, you know, I, I didn't know where to go. And that's the thing is I had no idea until 2008. Um, I'd, I'd been studying the Constitution, trying to get down to, you know, what bedrock was, which the Constitution still wasn't bedrock. And I didn't know that at the time. Uh, there, uh, there were these really great guys called the Anti-Federalists that fought this tooth and nail uh, into their very poor and disgraced graves, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, then I found Ron Paul. You know, a little guy up there, big ass suit, talking about how, you know, we have blowback and the reason they hate us isn't our freedom. It's because we've been over there for decades and decades and decades doing, you know, coups. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if you go back in history and look at the first CIA coup uh, against Mossadegh in in Iran with Operation Ajax, like you're just like, well, yeah, man, I kind of get why they might not like us very much. I kind of get why. The strained history with Iran uh, has really been one of those things where like, like they hate us. And yeah. boy, golly, you install the Shah who gets run over, you know, by some clerics because, you know, he's failing. And now they're they've gone from a very, you know, Western outlook, you know, very, very free outlook uh, in, in a very rich nation. And now they're they're wearing, you know bed sheets and burkas luckily i guess for them uh they've joined bricks now and are trying to join bricks now and a lot of the a lot of this is starting to come apart you see there's a there's a big movement in iran especially for the women where they're going around without you know the, the hajib and yeah. just uh walking around and, and you know sometimes it's not met very well but I mean, what a what a bunch of brave people uh, it's not you know i'm not talking about the government you know yeah you know, screw obviously the but yeah really really amazing people Talk about real feminism, by the way. I mean, that that's amazing. Uh, when when uh, 
something that you do could be met with such hostility mm-hmm. from a large portion of society. And you do it anyways, because you know, it's right. And it's something that uh, you feel you have the right to do, man. It, it takes some, some real lady balls there, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're still throwing people off of tops of buildings over there. Um, yeah. What a, yeah. What a horrifying way to be killed. Right. Like, Oh yeah. You yeah. know, you could be thrown off the top of a building. Jesus. Yeah, uh, exactly. Meanwhile, is, we, we have safe spaces in colleges. Yeah. True. <laughs> true feminism for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. so as, as somebody who's actually lived through the shit, how do you feel like when you see pro-war Republicans, especially because most of these people have, have never been over there. They've never seen the horrors of war. And how, how do you how do you feel about those people and how do you usually address them? It depends on who they are. Um, if it's, you know, if it's a McCain, then, you know, obviously gloves are off um, because you've got so much power and the the correction has to be swift. Um when I when I see other you know pro war Republicans, I have I, like as libertarians, we're not very good at this. We're not very good at being empathetic, right? Um, you know, once upon <laughs> a time, being uh, one of them, you know, one of these people that was indoctrinated by the state, and this is right back to John Taylor Gatto. Um, a lot of times, what I do is try to introduce them to John Taylor Gatto specifically, like, hey, you need to read this book and maybe understand, like, coming from a guy that did all this kind of stuff. It's not that I am, you know, when the time comes for, you know, just war, for defense, and, you know, when the tyranny has become too great. Yes, 100%. Um, but outside of that, there's no good reason for us to be around the world in over 120 bases, uh, to be deployed, to be laundering money in, in these situations and propping up this, you know, this god-awful MIC, which is, you know, the the Raytheons and the fucking... Uh, Boeing's and Lockheed's and, and you know you you name it like all these really gross incompetent organizations that are just full of fucking criminals like it is it, it, it it's one of those things where it's hard to restrain yourself but you're never going to win anybody to our argument by like hey you dumb fuck I mean maybe once in a <laughs> while right yeah um, but more or less uh, it's me telling stories, right? It's me telling that story. It's me having these heart to hearts with people that just plants a seed because until they want to see it, until they want to learn, until they want to study and get down to the, the bottom of this, what you're doing is you're threatening uh, their worldview, your thr- their, their construct, this thing that they've, you know, kind of fell back into. And I'll tell you right now, uh, you know, for anybody that it, it was never, uh, you know, a, a GOP baby or any of those kind of things, right? There's something very powerful and very snugly about the, uh, the, the, I don't know, the MIC complex that is America, right? Like this red, white, and blue, you know, back-to-back World War II champions. We've got the most powerful military on the planet. We've got all these amazing guys in special operations, blah, 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 right? Like that is a, that's a snugly feeling, and that's a yeah. safety feeling. And there's a lot of people that would admit that they are addicted to safety whereas you know that's when when you start to peel it back and you start to introduce people to the idea that hey listen i think between michigan and minnesota and wisconsin and pennsylvania i think we not only have the largest standing army in the world but we've got the largest standing army in the world multiple times over 
And so anybody that would ever think about invading this country, like, what? What are you talking about? We couldn't take over Afghanistan. We got, we got our asses kicked, you know, out there in those mountains. Iraq was no picnic. And, you know, the other, you know, countries that we've gone into and then uh, handed our ass over time. It's like, what do you think? Like, those those guys are going to be softer than the, the people here in the United States? Like, this is this is that piece where a lot of a lot of what we've been indoctrinated with is just simply not true and helping people find an escape route for that um you know basically not your fault you were indoctrinated at five years old by the state as were your parents um and they didn't know better right like they had no idea that this was happening that's their out and if you present them an out it makes it much much easier to make that transition over to a libertarian, uh, voluntary, uh, voluntary, or even an anarchist type perspective. So I'm, I'm actually definitely a, a Ron Paul libertarian as well. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I was introduced to him in 2008. Uh, you know, I wasn't old enough to vote at the time, um, but I paid attention. I noticed. Um, I actually found him in a High Times magazine advertisement. It was like a half <laughs> half page advertisement. And it was a politician advocating for the full legalization and decriminalization of marijuana. And yeah. I was taken back. I was like, man, that is political suicide. You know? <laughs> Especially back then in the GOP. Yeah. So it was exactly. standing there against the MIC. Like yeah. it, it was a real thing. It, and it, it blew my mind. And, and then that not too long after that, that's when I saw the, the Giuliani debate and, Ron Paul saying that this is not why they hate us. And ever, ever since then, you know, it, that's all I needed. Yeah. You know, I started paying attention more, of course, educated myself more. So, but it's just really interesting. I, I have a lot of Republican family. And I, I remember right after 9-11, it was a lot of red, white, and blue or fuck you, you know? Yeah. Like, that's it. and. I, I do got to say there was something interesting because like we, it felt we were united, you know, as a country after a common goal. But mm -hmm. looking back on it now, it was just like, that's like the worst goal. Yeah. We, we, we could have been united. Well, and you know, and that's the thing too is, you know, and, and I don't, I don't mean to shit on Christians. Right. But you know, there comes a point and, you know, obviously what I've learned since coming down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole, is the you know the GOP largely, especially here in the South, um, and I think in a lot of other places, is made up of, of a bunch of Christians. And one of the main yeah. tenets of Christianity is not seeking revenge. Revenge is quote unquote the Lord's right. Like that yeah. is that is a giant tenet. And for us to be so vengeful, to want to go and and you know go after these people, and that you know great old saying, you know, if you seek revenge, dig two graves. Um, yeah, you're. I mean, you're witnessing right now. A country that that was seeking revenge that is now going to die an economic death, you know, and, yeah. and that's the thing is it, it probably is. It's probably going to balkanize at some point. It's going to decentralize to the point where D.C. is absolutely um, not taken seriously anymore and, you know, left without power, no ability to tax all of these things. And so not only, you know, did we go over there and, you know, do some just horrendous things to a, you know, a couple of generations, 
Uh, but now we've done some really, really horrible things to the generations here. You know, you look at the GOP and the vengefulness and what happens because of that vengefulness in terms of not only spending, but loss of rights in terms of the Patriot Act, the NDAA, you look at the war on drugs, you, I mean, the, the weaponization, yeah, the weaponization of DHS, of the IRS, of the DEA, of the FDA, of the FBI, the CIA, all, you know, doing all of these things by taking your money and oppressing you with it. It is, it's, I mean, it's tragic. It, it's, it's a tragic, it's, it, I don't know if you're a Marine, I guess a tragic comedy because this is what you want to see. You want to see these monsters in D.C. and the bureaucrats and the bankers and their, you know, zombie corporations and, you know, things like the MIC and pharmaceuticals and the rest of those kind of guys. You want to see them get their just desserts. But if we're still a path out without violence, let's let's take that path. Right. Like we don't have to do anything. They're, they're literally right now crumbling under their own weight of debt and lies and manipulation they're getting found out and it's just like j- just let them go just let the whole damn thing go and start watch, working watch it burn <laughs> yeah here's some gas yeah. i'm not gonna pour out like i'm not coming out there to do anything all i'm gonna do is sit back and say i you know this is this is the path and until you know it gets to that point of like i don't know real physical violence against you know most people um taking up arms against this collapsing empire it, it's a non-starter so I obviously I am I am in favor of hardcore rebellion like that. However, I still don't feel like we're there. You know, no. um, I not not saying we couldn't get there very quickly, but it you know, we're not it, it's not like the uh, revolutionary times where the redcoats are coming to burn cities down, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, like we're, we're still pretty far off. However, one question I. I've been asking and I've been uh, trying to ask a lot of fellow libertarians or just anarchists, whoever I come across is where the hell are all the rebels? Like for the most part, where the hell are all the rebels? So I think there's this one thing that I've learned, uh, especially being in combat arms is there's this, um, when, when, when you're trying to identify power, right? Real power, power is quiet and, and power is very still. It is one of those things that is patient and it'll take as much as it takes. You know, there's, there's a good analogy about this with, you know, uh, a male lion and his cubs, you know, those cubs that are his, you know, will pounce on him, chew on his ear, chew on his tail, claw him, do a, at some point when he's just tired of, he'll stand up and it'll be over and that's it. That point has not come yet. You know, and that's the thing is, you know, for for guys like myself that are out there and I'm going to tell you right now, there are millions of guys like me. It is. Listen, you know, I don't need to draw the sword yet. I there, I still see outs. I still see a path of peace. And that's the real power. You know, the, the, the guys that are out there, they're like, you know, let's fucking go. You know, like, man, you probably never seen anything. Um, and if, you know, if if they continue to go like that, you know, they're, they're not going to have like, you know, guys like me going, yeah, let's go. Right. Even, even before we get to that point is one of the things that we're working on here in Cherokee County is, you know, we're assembling a bunch of good old boys. Right. And I, I, I don't, I don't mind mincing words about this. If, if, you know, there are ladies who would like to join us that know how to handle themselves. Great. But 
in terms of warriors, like the warriors are getting together and they're having conversations and they're they're coming up with a plan, a peaceful plan, but a show of force. And that show of force is, hey, there's sheriff, you know, these are our guys. And there's a choice coming for you between things like CBDCs and hard assets like Bitcoin or silver and gold. And we can pay you. We will pay you. Having a police force is not a bad thing, but it will be under a contract. And the only thing you're going to be doing is going after really heinous criminals, not, you know, the people you're mad at, the people that are really violent. That's the people. And if that time comes and we need to round up really violent people, I think you got a whole posse here that's going to help you take care of business. Now, if you want to go the CBDC route and you're going to carry out any type of orders that they dangle in front of you so that you get paid in CBDCs, we're going to have a lot of issues because at, at one point, if you if you roll one of us up, we're not coming for the deputies. We're not coming for the judge. We're not coming for the jailers. We're not coming for any of them. We are coming for you and you alone, and that is it. So when you deliver these kind of messages and you have these kind of tactics and you're still peaceful and you, your, your last resolution is a warning, hey, leave us alone. Leave the peaceful people alone. I think that's where the good old boy power resides. It's quiet. It's still. It's preparing. And when it has to act, it'll be over before it begins. Yeah, that's well said, honestly. So there there was a person uh, here in the state of Utah. It's it's one of my favorite stories uh, from the Libertarian Party. His name is Carl Bray, and he was the first chair of the Utah Libertarian Party. Uh, he was a co-founder of the, the uh, National Committee and everything. He used to dress up as Paul Revere and ride a horse through one of the parks downtown Salt Lake and hand out Carl Bray dollars because <laughs> the Federal Reserve notes were going to be worthless one day. Yeah. And he, he was a tax rebel. Uh, he, he fought the IRS. He refused to pay his income taxes. And even one of the former governors of Utah backed him uh, when wow. he ran for office as a libertarian. And so obviously there's, uh, there's some rebels and I do see them. And I think we are coming up on times like this where these voice, these types of voices are necessary. Those types of uh, theatrics, uh, which are not empty, by the way, the, you, you know, they're not an empty threat by any means. But I, I think these theatrics are kind of necessary these days. Yeah, no. And, and that's the thing is you have to remind these people. And the only thing that these people in government understand is force and coercion. That's it. That's all they understand. Yeah. It's how they live. They live off of force and coercion. So if you, you know, get to that point, which I think we're at, you know, I, I think if we're not having these conversations with our local sheriffs and local mayors, um, we're behind the time. And the the idea that you can do this still in a peaceful manner and not, you know, spark a violent revolution and give them an out, right? Like that, that's, you know, um, the art of war 101 is build your enemy a golden bridge of retreat. Look, man, yeah, we don't want this. We would we would love to have you as a better part of our community. We would love to improve the relationships between the deputies and, and the police and the local citizens. And the only way you're going to do that is you stop taking advantage of peaceful people. We're not your cash cow. You know, our property is not your property. Our property is our property. 
Now, if you want to sign a contract and you want to do this the right way, there's an out. There's a simple out for you. Is your department going to be as big? No. Is your jail going to be as big? No. You're not going to have to feed as many people. You're not going to have the government overlooking you. You're not going to have the FBI dangling carrots out in front of you and things like, you know, for civil asset forfeiture and drug bust and all this other bullshit. Like, you're not going to have to do this kind of stuff anymore. The murders, the rapes, the coercion, the burglary, the vandalism. Yeah, you know, kidnapping, sexual assault. Like, this, this is what we're going to help you guys go after. It's going to make you guys safer in the long run because you're going to be dealing with less people. And you're also going to be dealing with the people that deserve wrath versus the people uh, that are tr- just trying to live their lives. Well, it's going to make you heroes again, right? It's, it's going to make the community look upon you in a favorable light instead of just the constant hate, which a lot of law enforcement seem to get these days. Which, well, it, rightly so. You know, and that's yeah. the thing is when you're, when you're out on a major road, uh, a main corridor for people that are traversing to their job, in this economy, and you're looking at them for, you know, nine over, 10 over, something like that, man, and then trying to escalate the situation when there's pushback, like, that's, there's a lot of IRE for a lot of good <laughs> reasons. Um, yeah. I think last year, uh, cops in America killed 1,100 people. Like, that's a lot of people. And they, it is. They're, I mean, most of them weren't, uh, you know, the gang banging, like, you know, bullshit that they try to, you know, tout like crime is out of control. Yeah, crime is out of control. You guys are the ones who are committing it most of the time. Um, yeah. I'm going to agree with you there. I'm not going to agree with you on the subject or the fix. So, yeah, right. Rightful Irie, I think, and righteous Irie is uh, is definitely a good thing. You know, I, I got to say, I'm a little pissed when uh, the Supreme Court has ruled that police don't have an obligation to protect us and yet we're still forced to pay for them (laughs) yeah that's a weird thing right i I mean you know maybe you guys should just be detectives then uh and maybe you should issue maybe you guys should tell everybody that you you should probably be very armed and ready to go when uh when shit hits the fan because we're not we're we're a long ways away when seconds count right like that's that's kind of the whole narrative yeah paying paying these guys for protection uh, or being made to pay these guys uh, for protection. It's kind of a racket. It's like, all right, you know, just be detectives. Just mob stuff. You yeah, know? Just, just be detectives. And at that point, um, when it's time to call the posse, you have to go round up the bad guy that did the murder or did the rape or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, pretty pretty simple fix. So kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about what you have going on with Brave. Uh and your your PTSD experience that you uh, you have going on. Do you mind kind of running through the basics, like what it is, what you have going on? Sure. Um, so Brave is a, a mission that I uh, put together. Uh, there, I was introduced to psilocybin uh, a few years ago, and you know, I grew up that kid that was like, you know, uh, on you know on the dare teams and like all that kind of stuff, like you know, not narking people out or anything like that, but. You know, one of those places where, you know, you'd attend something in elementary school, you know, where cops would come in, they tell you about the danger of drugs, you know, guys, in there. Probably, yeah, guys that have probably never done drugs in the first place, um, especially not cannabis and psilocybin and, and things like that. Not to mention, like back in the day, you were getting things like Mexican, uh, Mexican ditchweed, which was like, you know, it's sticks and seeds and whatever else. And, you know, sometimes it might have been laced with something. 
uh, so that you know the customer had you know more of a high, right, more of an addiction or something like that, where they would continue to go back to a deal. Like that's not the case these days. Like the 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 sophistication of these uh, of these markets is has, has grown. The you know we've just seen a study uh, come out of Johns uh, was it Johns Hopkins? I think it was Johns Hopkins uh, on psilocybin and uh, post traumatic stress. And so, you know, read through this and saw some very, you know, just outstanding results, you know, not not just a uh, majority, but like an overwhelming, uh, you know, part like 90, 90 percent of the people said it was one of the top five or top three moments in their life in terms of a psilocybin trip. You know, you wow. got to be smart about this. So, um when I went out, um, I went out with my shaman who I met through jujitsu and, you know, he was very intentional. He was like, look, man, you know, you're here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. This is not a coincidence. This is going to, you know, be, you know, an, an amazing experience. I'm not going to tell you what it is and, you know, but we are going to be still and we are going to be silent. We're going out in nature. We're going to be like, we are going to do this the right way. And I was really like, you know, it's one of those things where. Cannabis is one thing, right? Like, and, and I had gotten into the point where, you know, I was trying to go on as large a trip as I could, even with edibles, so that I could go and, you know, get into that, uh, into the, the mystical part, the mystery part, right? Because things were unlocking for me. Um, I was becoming a much more patient person, more patient dad, more patient husband because of this kind of stuff. I was just like, this is, this is not what I was told what it was. It didn't make me dumb. Honestly, at the time I started, it was probably about, I don't know, 2015 sometime, right? And I, I started looking at this kind of stuff and I was just like, boy, everything that I was ever told about, you know, what this was is a, not only a lie, but it was an oppression so that people, you know, were not introduced to what the benefits of this were. Man, I think I found uh, Brian Moraski's, uh The Immortality Key at that point. Mm, and good one. Yeah, man, what a what a powerful book. Um, and kind of was like, wow, you know, like ancient civilizations have been doing this for 10,000 plus years. And now that I've seen, you know, what Graham Hancock has been talking about, probably even longer than that. Right. Um, and it's so you see how this started and, and what happened and how they called the, the glue, uh, the glue of humanity, the ego death, where. You know, it was this it was this bonding ritual at harvest season uh, in the Mediterranean and a lot of other places through um, the the, the uh, sub-Saharan desert and Africa and then up into, um, you know, the Germanic lands at the time. And you start to see, you know, what what really happened? You start to see that the, the, the church came in, gave us a placebo and said, hey, man, this is this is Christ. And here's your placebo and we're going to take all the power and give us your money because that's what, you know, that's what really evil organizations do. You know, deprive people of a communion with something mystical that is eye opening. And I mean that third eye opening type of stuff where you go beyond the plane of whatever this is. Right. And so um, after my first trip, I was like, I was, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. So, my shaman, who is, you know, I, I, he's a he's a purple belt and just one of the greatest guys in the world. Right. Very dangerous man um, to, to take guys out that are warriors to do this kind of thing. 
He's like, you, you, you are the type of archetype that is perfect for this. And, you know, when you start talking archetypes, you start to talk to guys that have been there and, and traveled. Right. And so, um, this started to kind of like eat at me a little bit. And I was like, all right, if it's good for me, it's good for others because guys that can control their mind, control their breathing, be still and fight through this kind of stuff and get that reset, you know, and, and get that upload and the download into, you know, this, this broader picture of what everything is. I was just like, man, this is so powerful and the signal is clear. Um, so I started uh, taking some guys out and we started working uh, with psilocybin and I'm telling you, I mean, this is, this is something, you know, that I understand very well now, you know, I'm not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. I grew up in the Christian faith, and I think that Jesus was a man that did some amazing things. But I think he did some things that were, you know, very much with psychedelics. And I would agree. I, I think that that piece, that that one missing piece that's been taken and oppressed from us is, you know, the ability to go out and have these conversations. Because if you get a you know, a group of guys out and you have a good enough trip and I'm talking, you know, probably more like a hero's dose or bigger, like five, five grams in the right conditions in nature yeah. with good dudes that can fight through this kind of stuff and are there to support each other. The conversations you will have, the, the opening of your heart and your mind and your ideas, man, it is, it's, it's one of those things like you see, like my eyes start to water just talking about it. It's, it's one of those things where you can laugh and cry with full grown men about what's going on in their life, provide each other not only, you know, a a network of of warriors, but you can also, you know, give advice and skill sets, right? Because where, you know, like I'm this guy that is a, you know, kind of a, a public figure, you know, a lot of these guys are hunters, they're shaman, they're they're builders, they're, you know, like you start to see what their what their gift is, what their passion is. And now all of a sudden now they're starting to work towards those passions instead of like trying to chase the almighty dollar. And when people see that and they start working towards it and start, you know, wanting to be independent and live a life, you know, of peace and in nature and balance and all like that is, that is not a people that government want, right? Like that is a people that is very, very, very dangerous to a government that needs control of its people. Um, so brave is just that is, um, you know, we, we take guys out, uh, guys, we haven't taken any girls out yet. You know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I tra traipses it off into the woods with females and, you know, doing psilocybin. I think, <laughs> you know, maybe as a group or something like that of, you know, uh, husbands and wives or whatever, uh, at some point, but, uh, for what we're doing, um, we're building a warrior class and we're building a family and we're building a network and we're building, you know, stronger men with passion again that are going to go out and evangelize. And one yeah. of the coolest things about, you know, all of this is when you get down to it, you know, you can't show people this. You can't take people, you know, and be like, hey, here's some pictures, here's some video. You know, you can't you can't really give them that. Um, the only thing that remains that you can take out of these situations, you know, and one of the questions I was asking myself during, you know, one of these uh trips that I went out, seven grams, you know, I went out by myself into the mountains up here and sat. Beautiful. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, just unreal. But that's, you know, it's, you're going out 
hours before sunlight. And this is the way we do it. You know, we go out hours before sunlight. And so it's dark for your trip. And there, you know, there's bear, there's deer, there's, you know, if you're not, if you're not a comfortable outdoorsman, this is maybe not for you. Um, <laughs> so you go out there and as you're coming out of phase one, basically, and the sun's coming up and you're having that rebirth, right? Like now things start to fall in line. You start to have these conversations, not only with yourself, but with these guys. And one thing, especially when you're by yourself, you're like, how do, how do I take this to everybody else? What, what is the message I'm supposed to take? And what remains is love. You know, that, that one word, go love people, go show them, you know, this, not this, go show them this. And when you can do that as, you know, a, a guy that's been around and done some things like it changes, it changes your interaction. It changes the people around you, it changes your network, because let's face it, you know, like there is, I'm not saying that, you know, it, you know, we should live in a patriarchal matriarchal, like I, I don't care about any of those. There's, there's this there's this balance that comes about and you see, you know, especially your wife for who she is. You see your kids for who they're going to be like version two of you or the next version of whatever you are. And you start to see, you know, you start to see how it makes sense. So for me, like the, the whole thing with brave is like, just go love people, like go and show them how that is. And I'll tell you, you know, it's even, not, not more of a coincidence, but the this book that I'm working on now is called the Communications Protocol. It's it's about not only communing with God, you know, through psychedelics. It's about how we talk to each other, but it's also about how we talk and communicate and interact with strangers. And that piece right there, um, in a in a time where technology is changing fast, you know, it's one of those things where Bitcoin is coming around. And when you understand Austrian economics and you understand that, you know, Bitcoin takes this fiat bullshit system that's absolutely a cancer that's destroyed our entire society and our entire, and our entire culture, you start to write that when people start to understand, like, listen, we can love each other as strangers. We can leave each other alone. And when we interact with each other, we can interact with each other through consent and peace through this technology. And so when you start to see all of these things kind of just line up and I mean, this is, this isn't the mind of, you know, some wild man. This is the mind of some guy who's gone out and, and had some psilocybin trips, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's very, very dangerous to the state. That is very dangerous to the banks and this is super dangerous to the MIC and the pharmaceutical companies and the rest of the damn zombie corporations that are, you know, you know, going down the ESG route with these guys as well. So it's, I mean, it's power. It is pure signal. It's power. And it is just, you know, that's the brave mission is how do we do this? How do we replicate this? And how do we make evangelists for this? That's brave. I love that. You know, I, I am a very strong proponent of, uh, of psychedelics. Um, it's always been my favorite personally, um, as, as an experiencer of, uh, of these things, it, it's made through my experiences, uh, using psychedelics, it's, it's made me more caring and loving, uh, that there you see the, you know, when any sort of a uh, hippies, like we're all one man, uh, we are, yeah. and, and you can see it. And I, I, don't like admitting that you know some of those people are right but they're right and there's a connection that you 
you can't really see, but it, it's there. And it's, leading it's, with love, man, it, it yeah. it's how it's how I was able to uh, to come to terms and face that. And uh, it, it definitely uh, led me being more of a rebel for sure. Yeah, no, it's and you know maybe one last story because I got a I got a hard go here in about six minutes. The uh, no worries when when I when I was first you know going in right and in, in, in traveling um, these these trips would be you know where I there was a two way communication right like I'm going in and I'm laying down some you know like this is my feedback to this whatever it is. And it's it's got to be that two way street, right? Like we're we're out here for that reason. We're supposed to be, you know, in this environment, and we're supposed to be relaying information back to the one, right? Like, hey, there, we need to start listening. We need to start doing a better job of this kind of stuff. And I would go in, man. I just want to fight. I just, you know, I'd want to go into the system and just beat the shit out of it for how fucked up and corrupt it was. And how it corrupted me and how it corrupted, you know, everything that it touched. Like, I just, I went in, you know, like, hey, listen, you know, this communications protocol is all fucked up. Like, you start to see it kind of like the Matrix, right? Like, you kind of start to see, like, that's an archetype, yeah. that's an archetype, that's an archetype. This this system is so screwed or this system's amazing, whatever it was. And, you're, you know, you're starting to say, this is what has to change. This is how it has to be. And when you can see people out there that, you know, kind of glow to you, right? Like they just stick out like sore thumbs. You're like, that guy's coming, that guy's coming, that guy's coming, that guy's like, you're starting to do all this kind of stuff. I went in super hard, like a lot of times. And I was just like, I'm yeah. going in and I'm going to beat the shit out of the system. And I'm going <laughs> to like try to, you know, give it some better understanding. But then, you know, I got to that point where I was like, man, okay. Message has been received. Now, <laughs> When you go in and you slip in, you're like, hey, everybody, peace. That is a different, like, there's this evolution, right? There's this, there's this evolution in your soul, in your mindset, in your heart, in, in your mind's eye that now when you go in and you're like, all right, I'm done beating up the system. Like, I'm done. And now you slip in and you're like, hey, and you can actually, literally, you can feel everybody who's on a trip around the world right then. And it is one of the coolest experiences you know to to evolve in something new like this and i i'm excited like i'm excited to to see how this goes to see you know how far we can push this and i think this is one of those things that i think this is the awakening i think this is where you know very strong uh men and women for that matter because i hope women are doing this in groups as well as as guys right like you get the right people, you get the right place, and you sit still and you do this the right way and it will change your life. And, and you will look at situations instead of wanting to run in and go to go to war, right? Like go to battle as, a, you know, like that's that's my archetype. I, I'm a warrior. No. Go in and say, hey, what's up? Go make peace. Go expect the best in people. Give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's my own. Like I, I, I think I said it during the debate. I said – you know, it's it's not, the, you know, everyday people that go around murdering people. Like that's the government. It, the, they're the largest mass murderer and the you know, force and coercion agent in all of history. And so, when you take your own advice and you're like, "Hey, man, let's go make peace," 
Let's not go make war. Let's go make peace with everybody. Let's like let's show people what we're about. Let's show people that we're you know good people and that we you know live by these aspects. Like go take that into there. And yeah. man, sh- shit changes fast. It's amazing. So I know you got to go. Uh, I don't want to keep you up, keep you here too long. Thank you so much for coming. Take it, um, I'm honored, man. Appreciate you having me, brother. Anytime. I definitely want to get you back. Um, one thing before uh, we we depart for this conversation, I I love asking this question because I get a different answer every time. Why does liberty matter? Oh man, great uh, esoteric question, right? Um, <laughs> liberty matters because you're a you're a thinking, thriving individual. You are part of the one, and at the same time. You're an individual. You you are you know you are feedback, and you are passion, and you are genius, and you are here to lift humankind. You are here to lift the human condition. And if you cannot express and 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 chase your passion, you cannot create your own genius, and you cannot lift humankind. Left to your own devices, liberty is the natural state. And that is, if we don't protect liberty, then we will never progress as a human species into a better place without the wars, without the, without the hate and the content, you know, without all the malice and vengefulness and like all those things, like that's, that's, that's the purpose of liberty to allow people to express themselves in the most peaceful way possible and become geniuses so that they can lift their fellow man. That's great, honestly. Well, thank you so much, Shane. Uh, do you got anything to plug where people can find you? Uh, what you have coming up? Um, man, uh, Brave it will be a 501c3 here shortly, so I'm going to be going after um, a, a different uh, path here with that so that I can travel all over the place and make new evangelists. Um, uh, and you know, any support at RadicalPod.com in the meantime would be great. But uh, you can find all my links and all that fun stuff there. I have I have a little bit of fun on Twitter. I've calmed down a little bit, you know, <laughs> not not so uh, ragey. But uh, yeah, Jacob, uh, really been a pleasure, man. And uh, thanks for letting me open up about that kind of stuff and the brave mission, especially. It's uh, it's one of those things that I'm extremely passionate about. Can't wait to to get out around not only the U.S. man, hopefully the world at some point and do some evangelizing. Well, let's let's get you back on at some point because I want an update. And uh, anytime you can uh, do any anything for Brave or anything else here in Utah, just let me know, and uh, I'll I'll get you in contact with the people that uh, will be able to best help spread this around. Yes, so, sir. Thank you so much again, and uh, thanks for everyone watching. Hit that like, subscribe, share this. It helps grow the channel and everything else. And until next time, stay free, my friends. Thanks, Shane.